that. So we're going to talk about Psalm 10 today. And this is a serious uh, psalm in the, in the Old Testament. Many of them are. So I start with a little bit of humor there intentionally, okay? Um, there is a question that uh, can sum up this psalm. And it's a question that every single one of you have asked at one point or another. It's a question that every single one of you who are watching online, Facebook, YouTube, maybe even our, web, our website, you've asked the same question as well. And the question is, um, where are you, God? Where are you? Or something like that. And you have asked this question, and that's what makes this psalm uh, so powerful and so important for us today. By the way, those of you who are watching online, you're not off the hook. Remember, hit that share button, right? And like or subscribe. Get notifications if you're watching on YouTube. And you too can participate uh, as well by using the comments section. We'll try and post some of those on our stream, okay? So uh, just the first couple of verses to begin with. This is Psalm 10, the Bible's Old Testament. This is written, you know, uh, 2,800 years ago. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? He starts it with a question. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I wonder if you relate right off the bat to the question that he's asking. Why do you, God, why does it seem like you're not there? Why does it seem like you're not doing anything? Why does it seem like you're hidden? Why are you so hard to find? Why is it that when these things happen to me or they happen to other people, you are seemingly not around? You're, you're, you seem to be hidden. And he continues and he says, in his arrogance. So now the psalmist is going to describe why he's so frustrated. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. His, he boasts of the cravings of his heart and he blesses the greedy and he reviles the Lord. So he's frustrated because he sees that there are things that are going on, maybe in his life, maybe in the lives of people who he knows. And he sees that the wicked man, again, this is a word that we don't often use in today's English language and contemporary culture, but we saw it in Psalm 1 last week. The wicked, the, the unrighteous, the unholy person, this is who he's trying to describe. That wicked person, he says, seems to actually do well in life. So in his pride, the wicked does not seek him, the him is God. Uh, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. This is, a, this is a bad guy. Morally speaking, he's describing an evil person. His ways are always prosperous. He's doing really well in life. That guy who cut me off on the road, the guy who stole from me, the guy who took my job, the lady who's manipulating me and stabbing me in the back at work and uh, who, who uh, had an affair with my husband, whatever. The person is, seems to be doing really well in life, always prosperous. He is haughty and your laws are far from him. And he 
sneers at all his enemies, and he says to himself, nothing will shake me. You know, catch me if you can. Nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. You ever been in that situation? Do you relate to the cry of the psalmist? What's he doing? He's saying, God, it's not fair. Where is the justice? Where is the consequence for this person's action? It seems like you have hidden yourself and you're not there. And he's, it's, it's quite a complaint. Now, you only have to look around at today's news to, to relate to this. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much the pulse of God is in people and how much we long for justice and how, long, how much we long for equity and fairness and, you know, people to, to get the consequences of their actions, especially when those actions are morally evil. And it's amazing to me that we, as a culture, you know, we, we hum and haw and we come up with great articulate arguments and we boast about, well, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth anymore and what's true for this person is not true for this person and don't come to me with your religion, keep that to yourself, don't, don't do any of that because what's true for me is not true for you and so on and so on and so on. And yet we all seem to have a longing for justice. We all seem to have a, something that rises up within us when we are morally wronged. And it seems to be across the world, this kind of sentiment, this kind of uh, longing. Uh, it, it's pretty hard to believe that time and chance can account for that. There's a deep longing within the soul for justice. And we all have that. We all have that, those moments in our lives and those questions in our lives where we say, God, where, where were you when this happened? Why do you seem hidden? So just a few examples for you. You've got protests and riots happening in nations all over the world. I just picked three. In, in Cuba, we have great unrest that is happening now. Why? Because people want justice, because people are fed up of corruption, people are fed up with, with the power games, people are fed up with a lack of integrity and leadership, uh, and, and they, it comes to a point of explosion. It comes to a place of, of protest and, and, and dangerously at times. Uh, and then the government, of course, pushes back, and then the people push back, and so you have this going on in Cuba. We have it going on in South Africa. Uh, with the president of the nation uh, uh, arrested and all of this great amount of violence and protests that have happened. Why? Because people are crying out for justice and fairness and they feel like, you know, whether or not we understand their political situation or not, they feel like they have been wronged and they have been cheated and it's not fair and people need to be called into account for their actions. Rightly or wrongly from our side, you know, of the globe, this is what's going on. We see it in Haiti. Uh, this, this photo, actually, uh, I found it on our missionaries' um, Facebook page, Michel and Louis Charbonneau, who are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, right today, running their church of a 1,000 kids today. And um, this is a picture that she put on her page. This is a day before the funeral for the president who was assassinated in Haiti. And there's riots in the streets, and there's protests and violence, 
And all of it has to do with, we don't think that this is fair. We don't think that this is just whatever side they're on. There are people who were, who were for that president. There are people who are against that president. And you have this great tumult that's happening. And it's a violent, violent scene. That's, that's countries that we don't live in. Some of you may be from those countries or have visited those countries. I visited uh, two out of three of them. Uh, but even here in where, where we are in North America, right? Do you remember 2020? Maybe you'd rather forget. Um, but 2020, probably the biggest moment that people will remember when they think about 2020, more than the pandemic even, would be the, the death of George Floyd and the riots that ensued and the protests that ensued around the world. It wasn't only in the United States. I think this, this shot is from Minneapolis where they, they set the place on fire, essentially. I mean, the anger and the rage and the demand for people to be held accountable for their actions and the systemic racism problem and the police brutality problem. And people have said, we've had enough and they want a reckoning, and they want accountability. That's the exact same thing that the psalmist is crying out for. And he's, he's pointing his finger at God in the beginning of this psalm, and he says, where are you? Why have you hidden yourself? Why does this continue to happen? Why do the wicked continue to prosper? Well, how is it that this person seems to have this, this air about him, this kind of catch me if you can? I will never forget, as some of you, I'm sure, will say the same thing. I will never forget the face of Derek Chauvin as he put his, ne his knee on the neck of George Floyd for the upper, better part of 10 minutes. But the look on his face and the arrogance on his face that was caught on video for the world to see, that kind of smug arrogance, catch me if you can. I'm not moving my knee from this man's neck. Well, now he's got 20 years in prison. Maybe he'll appeal, maybe he'll get out. But there is a longing that people have for justice, a longing and a cry, and if it is not satisfied, it can turn into, into vengeance, it can turn into all kinds of ugly things here in Canada. What have we seen in 2021? The discovery of these mass graves of children at these former residential school sites. Children, unmarked mass graves. It is absolutely unconscionable, gruesome, horrendous, and people it, inside of us, we can feel a pulse of anger when we look at these things. Why? Because God has put that inside of us, that longing for justice, that longing for people to be held accountable for their actions. And fortunately, unfortunately, in this situation, you have churches being set on fire, and people think that that's justified. They say that people need to be held accountable. The church needs to be held accountable. They go and they set a church building on fire. But inside, there's this longing. We say, that's wrong what happened to those children. That's wrong what happened to that individual who, who was uh, uh, killed with a knee on his neck. That's wrong that this person going uh, running got shot to death. That's uh, case after case after case, uh, uh, scene after scene, story after story. And in our own personal lives, the same thing is true. How many of you have felt the exact same way as a psalmist? 
exactly the same. Where are you, God? Why are you hiding yourself in times of trouble? Look at this situation. Look at this person. He's doing really well in life. She's doing really well in life. Catch me if you can. I seem to be losing, and they seem to be winning. It's not fair. That's what makes this psalm uh, so relevant for our lives. And what the psalmist is going to do, we don't know if this was sung. We don't know who the individual is. Maybe it's David. Maybe it isn't David. We're not sure who it is. But what the individual who's writing does is he works his way through this whole thing. And he, and he kind of prods his way through what he's thinking. And this is exactly what you and I should do. That's why the psalm is there. Because it's an expression that we all can relate to. And it gives us permission to express ourselves to God as well. So a, a few just observations about it. Uh, yes, the psalmist said that to God. Some of you, when you read this verse, you know, why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Some of you, you think to yourself, oh boy, that's not good. He should say that to God. If he says that to God, something bad's going to happen to him. Like, who's he to point his finger at God and say that to God? That's, that's out of bounds. You can't say that to God. When you go to God, you've got to uh, you use King James English and thy and thou and, you know, pray the Lord's prayer a hundred times, and that's how you talk to God. But you don't talk to God this way. That's out of bounds. You can't talk to God that way. Really? He did. And you're going to see this in the Psalms over and over again, these very brutally honest statements and questions and complaints even made to God. And you look at it, it almost, it almost makes you blush a little bit. You say, whoa, he, that, he's out of line. The psalmist should not write that. Again, we talked about it last week. There are psalms that are what we call imprecatory. This psalm has a little bit of that in it, where the, the person who's, who's writing, kind of as they're praying, they're asking for God to, to wipe out their enemies, and their enemies' children, and their enemies' dogs and cats. You know what I'm saying? That's, a, that's an imprecatory psalm. You say, that's not allowed. You can't do that. You can't. Well, they did. doesn't mean God's going to answer. It just means the expression is there. And this person who's writing expressed it all, put it all out there on paper for all of us to see now. This gives us permission to express ourselves to God. If you're angry at God, what do you think? You're going to hurt God's feelings? Do you think that God's going to be like offended by you? You think he's going to be, oh boy, you know, I really didn't hear that. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't hear that insult. You think it's going to bother him? You think he's going to need counseling after, after you complain to him? No, God can take your complaint. God can take your anger. God can take your question. God can take your expression. You, you may be totally off base, but God would rather hear you complain to him. He would rather hear you cry out to him than hear nothing at all. Some people, they just say, well, you know, there's no God. There's no point in praying. Not according to this person here. This person was frustrated with the situation. And what did they do? They brought the situation to God. Bold-faced questions and complaints here. As if God hides himself? God doesn't hide himself. I mean, God, if we go by what the Bible says, God is everywhere all the time. He should be pretty obvious to find. 
but not according to the psalmist. He says, why are you hiding yourself? Is this a game? Are you playing hide and seek? Why were you not there in this problem? This is a, this is a bold, honest expression of frustration. And you have permission to do that when you approach God. It doesn't mean you're always going to be right in what you're saying. That's not the point of the psalm. The point is he expresses his heart to God. And that's what you do when you pray. You express your heart to God. And the more that you do that, the more that you learn about God, the more that you learn about yourself, the more that you learn about the world around you because he teaches you as you do that. But if you just don't ever come to God, you don't ever talk to God, you don't ever express yourself to God, you're not going to get any further. The way that you will grow is when you communicate to him. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be nice. It doesn't have to be King James language. It has to be honest. And this is what the psalmist was, brutally honest. And he continues and this is, this is really a, a frustrating part of the psalm, but it's there. Yes, sometimes the wicked win. Sometimes they do. And it, it's, it's a frustrating reality for us, you know, people who are in church all the time, because sometimes we, we buy the jargon that says, well, you know, if you're a Christian person and if you're, you know, you're following uh, uh, Jesus and you're born again, nothing bad's going to happen to you. You'll always be victorious. You'll, you, you'll always win. You'll never lose. You'll always be victorious. You'll always be the champion because, of course, you got God on your side, so nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. How many of you know that that's not true? It's not true. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you're a Christ follower and you lose. And sometimes the wicked do win. Sometimes they do. It's temporary as you read through this psalm here. But sometimes they win. And here you have this so-called wicked person basically saying, catch me if you can. Basically saying, you too, catch me if you can. Sometimes they do that. Sometimes they, quote unquote, to use an expression, get away with murder. You ever heard that expression? Sometimes they do. And the psalmist realizes that and he expresses it and he says it. He lies in wait near the villages, this figure. At, for, from ambush, he murders the innocent. Ugh watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion. Look at the imagery in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. I've seen real lions once in my life on a safari in Zambia. And they do exactly that. <laughs> when they're not sleeping, <laughs> they, they lie in wait. It's, it's actually the females that do the hunting more than the males. And the males are kind of lazy. And they just kind of intimidate people and, and walk around, you know, and, and uh, take over land kind of thing. And they walk around in gangs sometimes, uh, lions do. But the females do a lot of the hunting. And they do this. They lie in wait and they, they lie in cover in thick, thick, tall grass. And you look through and you see their face looking at you. And they're looking right through you, right behind you, as if you are... You are insignificant to them, right? They're, 
If you're in a bad place, they're hunting you. They're not, they're not wanting you to pet them, right? He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and he drags them off in his net. He's, he's winning. His victims are crushed and they collapse and they fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. That's what he's saying that, about God. So he's saying that this person says to himself, oh, where is God? God has forgotten. God is covering his face. God doesn't even see it. God isn't even in the picture of what I am doing and what I am getting away with. That's what the psalmist is trying to describe about this evil person. Sometimes the wicked win, but it's a temporary thing. Have you noticed that? Sometimes they win, but you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you watch, and you see. And then weeks later, months later, sometimes years later, you see what's become of that person's life. And you see where they're at and you see what's happening. You say, wow, they, they're not so smug right now. Things have changed. The tables have now been turned, it seems. It seems like circumstance has strangely changed, perhaps without the person even realizing it. And now it's like uh, the consequences have now come. That's what God does. But he takes time to do that. So this is what the psalmist says, Arise, Lord, and lift up your hand, O God. So he's asking God to intervene and to do something. Do not forget the helpless. He's praying. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? And that's what we're demanding these days, is people to be held accountable for their actions. And the psalmist says, why is it that the person thinks that there's going to be no accountability? Why does the person think that they're going to get away with this God? But you, oh God, you do see trouble. He's encouraging himself with the reality that, wait a second, God has not hidden his face. God is not hiding in a corner. God, this doesn't take God by surprise. And he realizes you do see trouble. You do see it. Say, well, why doesn't he do anything about it? You do see grief. You consider it to take it in hand. So, He's, he's painting a picture of God being aware, being uh, 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 completely in control, aware of the whole thing that's going on. It's not a surprise to him. It doesn't, it doesn't shock him. He sees it. He sees the grief of people. He takes it into account. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. You'll see this picture in the Bible all the time. Uh, you see a widow, you see an orphan, you see someone without a father. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked. 
an evil man. A little bit of imprecatory psalms there. Break the arm of the wicked. Wow, it says some prayer. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. So what he thinks he's gotten away with, God call him to account because you see it. Maybe nobody else saw it, but you did see it. You did see what happened behind closed doors. You did see what that person got away with. Maybe they got away with it for years and years and years and years. I was reading a case uh, just yesterday in the news, a 33-year-old case, a cold case, where a child's life was taken, and only uh, this week they made an arrest using DNA evidence, uh, and they're charging somebody with the murder of this child that took place 33 years ago. And you read the reaction of the family, and it gives the family a sense of justice and a sense of accountability and a sense of closure because though it took three plus decades, they may well have solved the crime and somebody will be held to account because this is what God eventually does. Now, we want it right away. We want it like the phone we press and the tablet we press. And we say, okay, God, God came through. Look, we just pressed the little button and God came through and God brought justice. Oh, well, something else happened. Press the little button. God came through and God brought justice. We want it in our timing, but it often doesn't work that way, as many of you would be able to testify today. So he cries out to God. He starts to realize that God is not aloof to this. God does see it. God does take it into account. God does hear the cry of the fatherless, the grief, the helplessness of the victim. God sees it. God knows it. And God will take it into account. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Hmm. You hear, O Lord, the desire of of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. There will be a reckoning. He's hoping for a future and he's hoping for God to bring consequence and justice to this particular situation, whatever it may be, or maybe he's generalizing. But the point is, he's got hope for the future, this psalmist. He doesn't look at it as uh, it's over. The loss is forever. God will never come through. No, he sees God coming through in the future. And uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, Bible even if you just focus on the New Testament, the New Testament is what we call an eschatological document, okay? The, that means of looking for the future, the future time, the end of time. The writers of the New Testament, you can't escape. It's almost on every single page. They looked forward to the great day of judgment to come. They looked forward to what we call today the second coming of Christ. They looked forward to that because for them, it would be justice. For them, it would be the ultimate conclusion, the ultimate 
uh, satisfaction of God's character, the ultimate fulfillment of his promises will come when Jesus returns. And you see them write about this over and over and over again. The foundation of the modern Pentecostal movement, of which our church is technically a part, um, I mean, we're not a church where, you know, people are swinging from the chandeliers or anything like that. We're a little crazy. We meet in a movie theater. Uh, but our, our movement of churches across Canada, over a thousand churches, this is a 110, 115-year-old movement. The people who started this way, way, way back over a century ago, they did the same thing. They were calling out to God for justice. They believed that justice would eventually come when Jesus returned. And so that's why the, the early preaching of the uh, Pentecostal movement is constant, constant talk about the second coming. There used to be a, a running joke, you know, that if you went to a movie theater and Jesus returned, you'd be left behind <laughs> because you're, you couldn't go up in the, in, into heaven. The movie theater was so evil that it would block you from leaving the earth. You ever heard that joke before? Some of you old timers have heard that joke before, right? So, you know, that used to be the way people thought. But, you know, the good part about that is they believed in and put their hope in the upcoming justice of God and Jesus' return. Maybe there was some bad stuff there, but the good stuff was, hey, this is going to happen at one point or another. You say, you're crazy. How can you believe in the second coming of Jesus? Well... Uh, for one simple reason, the resurrection of the dead. So if Jesus Christ rose from that tomb, if he was dead and put in that tomb, and three days later that tomb was empty, and he was seen by uh, dozens into hundreds of people, and that is a true historical peace, then we have a right with authority to believe that Jesus will come again. Because that opens the door to the reality of the supernatural. That opens the door to everything changes if Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So maybe you're here today, you're watching online, or you're watching a recording of this. Uh, you'll watch it later on. You'll listen to it later on. You've got a situation in your life where you lost or where you are losing. And you feel like God is nowhere he is not in this picture. It is a con My life is a constant curse. It seems like everything bad is happening to me over and over and over again. And it's like God is... Thank you, Omar. I probably lost the battery on the wireless, okay? Maybe you have that kind of situation in your life. And you say, it's been years, Pastor. I'm just hanging on by a thread. But I feel like my life is just one series of problems after another, after another. Let me assure you, as the psalmist would want to do as he speaks through, you know, 2,800 years of history here. He wants you to be assured you can go to God with your complaint, with your frustration, with your argument with your cry, with your sense of being a victim in this situation over and over. You can go to God and you can be honest with God. And you can, like he did, wrestle through the reality that there is going to be a reckoning to come. That God will balance the books. 
He is the best bookkeeper and accountant of all. And God sees it. He sees what people don't see, what people didn't see. He sees and saw every tiny detail. He heard every conversation. He saw the betrayal that happened in your life. He saw it. He didn't forget it. And he will eventually visit consequences on the evil person. He will. There will be uh, uh, a reckoning to come. The Bible uses the image of reaping and sowing, right? You sow seed into the ground, eventually you reap it. Uh, some people mistakenly call this karma. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. People say, it's karma. Well, no, that's not really what karma is. What you're talking more about is sowing and reaping. You sow seed into the ground, eventually you reap the consequences. Whatever seed you put in, you're going to reap the consequences, okay? And we see that. This is what God does. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't stop calling out to God. Eventually, the tables will turn, and eventually, he will bring redemption to the entire world that we live in. He will bring about ultimate justice when Jesus returns. If you just bow for a moment with me in prayer, we're not going to have any music here. I just want to take a moment to pray for you because I think that there's people you're not going to, you're going to keep it in and that's okay. But there are situations in your life and you say, wow, you know, I really, I really need God uh, to show up. So Lord, I pray for each person who's in the room right now, each person who's watching uh, live online, people who are going to watch, people who are going to listen. Lord, if we survey our lives, there are just so many situations and so many little things where we can say, wow, God, where, where are you? Where are you in this situation? I pray you would encourage people by your spirit. You would fill people with your power. And Lord, uh, you, would, you would show your faithfulness to us. I pray that people would be patient. Lord, you would teach us to wait. Teach us to be still as we watch and survey your hand of power in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you today. And uh, again, great to be with you. I will be kind of hanging around at the front there. I don't know if we have a volunteer in the room who can run the machine, but if we don't, uh, I can take care of that as well. Thank you for tuning in online. Uh, we're going to end the stream and uh, come and see me if you want to volunteer for August the 14th and our back to school bash. God bless you and have a great Sunday. Don't forget to go and pick up your kids in number 11. God bless you, everyone.